listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Who am I? You still want to know who I am, don't you? You want of me. You seek answers from me. You desire me. Look to yourself. Look in the mirror. Tonight, say my name. Say my name three times. I will come to you. Every generation has the favorite ghost stories, the legends that get handed down from uncle to nephew, sister to sister, over crackling campfires or hidden safely under blankets and whispered with portent and awe. Black Aggie, an urban legend that is specific to Baltimore, is one such. It's embraced by a generation, forgotten by a generation, and found again. A ghost, a revenant, a shade. She is many things to many people. And our story takes place in the earliest years of the 20th century. Our story we call The Curse of Black Aggie. You promised it wasn't a sin not to love, but it's our blessing. Not sinful, Leland. Tell them, Leland, let go of me. Don't hurt me, don't hurt, don't hurt me, please. Tell them, tell them you love me, please. Ah! Who am I? You want to know who, don't you? Who I am. I am not this cold shell of a human form, though it may yet reveal glimpses of my likeness well beyond your time on earth. You're watching me, looking at me, as many have done. (laughs) You don't know me. You don't really know me. How dare you seek my secrets? Leland? Leland watched me in love, his warm hand touching my soft cheek. It made me blush, warm flesh fulfilling desires never imagined or allowed, only to be torn apart and stolen. Leland, tell them! Look into my eyes. And listen, and I may tell you a secret. Come. Why did I ever let you drag me out here? This way, this way, hurry. A cemetery of all places. I never promised an easy theft. But at night? The price we'll get for this one, we cannot be discovered. Quiet! We don't want to wake up the dead. (laughs) Come along and watch your step. I can't see. There's no pathway. Now, keep up. This way. How can you know where you're going in this darkness? Quiet, boy. Listen to that. He's warning us we shouldn't be here. This way, Mr. Pouch. 
But there's nothing but trees and shrubs. Watch your step. Here's the clearing. Well, these are marble seats facing... Our prize. Sitting there in the shadows. That statue on that pedestal. Where? Under the yew trees? There, now. The moonlight's helping you. Go ahead. Take a look-see. But the statue's cloaked. You can't see who... I thought you wanted... Approach and behold. My God. Look at the face. Magnificent. Ha! A woman's face. Grace in bronze. Man or woman. It's a judge. Look. Sitting in judge's robes. Could be the grim reaper for all we know. Look at her face. Her eyes closed. Her solemn lips a moment before breaking into either joy or sorrow. Only her right hand revealed, raised toward her face, but curled down with the back of one single finger brushing her cheek. Why is that? She's scratching an itch. <laughs> it's getting cold and late. Let's get this cast of the statue done. No, no, no. Look, look at her closed eyes, the lips. She's remembering the touch of another. The touch of someone important to her. A, a love. A love that was lost. How did this artist find such a pure moment of reflection? As if in this instant she's considering the past, weighing the present and accepting the future. Magnificent. What do you call her? The artist never gave this statue no name. Of course not. Like the Sphinx. Never to speak leaving the riddle to be answered by any individual who looked into her eyes beneath the bronze cowl. You can't take your eyes off her. Now I know why he sits on these granite benches in solitary meditations days on end. Henry Adams' wife was long dead, I hear. Suicide by drinking potassium cyanide. Obviously the man's heart was destroyed... He didn't know what to make of her death and commissioned this. Perhaps she can lead him to some understanding. For catharsis, she is grief. Tear your eyes from her, Mr. Pausch. There are more desperate for her gaze. Get to work before the dawn breaks. Happily, I must capture this image. Help me with the plaster. Midnight, cool plaster on bronze skin. To steal an image that wasn't theirs. I wasn't anyone's to steal, not the first time. Stolen flesh can never be returned. And certainly not that night when Felix Agnes commissioned the theft of my visage in the Adams Cemetery. He wanted a duplicate to grace the Agnes family gravesite. I thought it best, Mrs. Agnes, to make a personal plea to your husband. Our lawyers were getting a bit winded. And continuing to fill their coffers, I'm sure. I knew you would understand, Mrs. Agnes. Uh, please, Mrs. St. Gaudens, call me Annie. Uh, thank you. Uh, I thought it best to entreat your husband for a resolution for something that is clearly wrong and a disservice to my husband's artwork. I'm certain an unauthorized copy, a theft of a statue, as you have put it, was never intended by my husband. 
husband. Let me assure you, Annie, your husband was clearly duped by art thieves. I am certain he will be repaid, but there is a question about the statue in Druid Hill Cemetery. Yes. It cannot stand there. Oh, I see, yes. I see your argument. It must go, I suppose, if, as you say, it's your husband's art. It's a duplicate, Annie. The original was my husband's. It must never be duplicated. Yes, of course. Uh, My husband is really quite busy, as you know. Running a newspaper is quite a monumental position to hold in society. He's not here. He's quite busy. But I can have him call upon you. You're in town visiting? I have a room at the Belvedere through the week. Lovely. I will have him call upon you later today. Uh, Tomorrow the latest. Mrs. Agnes, Annie, please listen. He needs to let the statue go, or he will face retribution that I cannot stop. What are you saying? How can you threaten me like that? No, not from me, please. How dare you come into my house, accuse my husband of stealing some statue that's sitting in a graveyard. It's stone. It's nothing. A funereal ornament. God rest your husband's soul. He was a magnificent artist. But best you leave now, Mrs. St. Gaudens. Good day, Mrs. Agnes. Wretched woman. Felix? Felix? Come in. Felix, dear, we had a visit from that deplorable woman, Augusta St. Gaudens. Who's St. Gaudens? The late artist St. Gaudens, uh, his wife. The Adams Memorial. Why was she here? Can't she let her lawyers handle this? Is it true, then? Did you steal her husband's sculpture? I was duped. I've explained this in court, Annie. The judge recently ruled in my favor. The thief is paying me back plenty. What about the statue? What do you mean? Are they taking the statue back? Well, the court ruled as soon as I received financial restitution from the judgment. We keep the statue. Huh? Promise me they don't take her away. Bye. Felix, promise me. I'll have my lawyer take care of it. Thank you, love. Now kiss me your promise and I'll be off to tell her the good news. Tell whom? Why, the statue. Oh. Our guardian (laughs) angel. She protects our family, your mother, my father, bless their souls, and you and I when our times must come. Uh. Doesn't that give you comfort? That we're in her care, under her protection. Come here, Annie, and we'll seal that promise. Two people kiss a promise of love. People call me Black Aggie, but that is not my real name. Why, why are they doing this to me? woman, Annie. This woman has come to me before. She speaks to me. She wants of me. She wants me to look at her. I wish that you would open your eyes and help me understand. Understand? There is so much I do not understand. If I could speak to you, I would... She is beautiful. Who's that? Oh, it's you, Mrs. St. Collins. 
How did you know to find me here at the Druid Hill Cemetery? You didn't tell your husband, did you, Mrs. Agnes? He won't see you. I understand, Mrs. Agnes. Her face, so serene. I never thought closed eyes would reveal so much about her thoughts. Why didn't your husband sculpt her with open eyes? She was sitting in the park when my husband met her. She was a model, a real person. What's her name? Where's she from? She's beautiful. She modeled for your husband. No, she didn't know what he was doing. I wasn't anyone's to steal. A silent barter made years earlier when Adams needed a monument for his poor, cold, dead, rotting wife. And he plagued and begged and prodded and scoffed a great artist, not some graveyard thief, this great artist sought the perfect figure, but none could please his client. This won't do, St. Gordon's. I'm sorry. Mr. Adams, please. How many hundreds of sketches, how many months and years can I go through to capture what is locked in her head? My poor wife rests in eternity. She has time, and as you know, I have money to wait for the right figure for her memory. Mr. Adams, all respect to the memory of your wife and my appreciation for what you've generously given me thus far, but I have studied the examples you want me to draw from, from Michelangelo to Lafarge. I've combed artwork from India to Japan. You have me practicing Buddhism, but at this point, I'm so far from Nirvana. St. Gordon's, perhaps you study too much. Get your head out of the sketchbook and see what is round you. Show me but something Mr. new tomorrow. Mr. Mr. Clarence, Adams, you don't know, Mr. Adams, Mr. Adams, Mr. Mr. Stubborn old fool. He doesn't know what he wants. Need to walk, clear the head, take in the autumnal showcase. Walk to the park to enjoy the golds and browns of fall. Take a seat on this bench. Listen to old Adams' advice. Read the surrounding moments of life. (laughs) Distant city beats, harbor bells. (laughs) There's an elder man in bowler and cigar, led by his grunting bulldog. (laughs) That nanny returning with two mewling children in a pram, pushing them with Sisyphean effort. All quiet and empty now, except for that hooded figure sitting on the bench. Is it a man or a woman? That's a woman. Sitting quietly. But her mouth moves as if speaking. But she's quite alone. I must get closer. Neighboring bench will do. There. Her words whispering to herself and maybe it's in prayer. Hood is part of a larger gown that covers her face. See it's hiding a nun's habit. Why would she keep that hidden? She's young. Beauty reflected with strong features of nose and brow. A blush of cheek. She appears to be sitting at peace, perhaps. And her distant eyes are transfixed on something that wasn't present before her. Reflecting a memory. She closes her eyes. My heavens, she is seeking answers through her prayers. This moment captures all that Adams needs. I'm witnessing 
peace of God. Oh, there's no time to ask her permission. I must capture this. I need to steal this moment in her life. And I begin sketching her, her closed eyes, the bridge and eyebrows so serene. She raises her hand and touches and she stops. The back of her hand reaches toward her cheek. It stops and only the back of one finger touches her cheek. This isn't her caress, but this is remembrance of another's caress. And her eyes suddenly rise and she looks at me. Instinct wants me to look away, but I can't. I can't leave her eyes. She was a nun, Mrs. St. Gaudens? My husband never spoke with her, but he confirmed the rumors. A nun who had loved a priest. Father Leland, don't! Sister Claire, I, I just want to touch your cheek. Please, Father, we mustn't. God may be leading us on a different path, Claire. I, I'm Sister Claire, Sister Claire. I have there. spoken my vows, as have you. There. Your cheek is more soft than I had imagined. You blush as if no one has touched you in this way. Please, no, no more, Father. I am Leland now, and you are Claire, and we will kiss and share our love. God will not! No, 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 shh, shh, shh. God has granted us these feelings to share, otherwise it never would have been revealed within the walls of this church. God's blessing is revealed in our kiss. No, I... That kiss is a glimpse of heaven, Claire. You agree now? With God's blessing, he's allowed me to love you. I love you, Claire. It would now be sinful not to accept his gift. Please, enough, I beg you. She was lured into carnal fulfillment. Her love for him blossomed, yet she still hung on to her nun's trappings. She was torn between life's love's devotion for God and a devotion to a love declared by a priest. How did she choose, Mrs. St. Gaudens? The choice was out of her hands. The priest was right about that night of their meeting. They were blessed. Very soon after, she found out she was pregnant, and she knew that God had given her the message she needed. As the priest had foretold, she would leave the church, just as the priest had promised that first night. Leland, when can we leave? I cannot hide her baby much longer. We must leave. No. We can leave tonight, Leland, just as you promised. Leland, we can share our love outside these walls, as you I, promised. I don't know what you we, are talking you about. You don't know? What has come over you? Don't you dare tell me. Look at me. Look at my belly. This is our child. I have no child. You can say that. Within these walls, these same walls where you declared our love. I have Stating, I love you, Claire. I have one vow, and that is to God. What? Father Leland, are you ready for us? Leland? Sister Claire, they know. What have you done? Father Leland, are you safe? Please, enter, sisters. What, if, what are they doing here? Sister Claire, you must come with what us. What are you doing? Get, get your hands off they me! They will take care of you, Sister there's Claire. No, there's no need to shackle me. Oh, my God! May you find forgiveness. Dear Lord, leave my baby alone. Leland, please don't let them do this. You promised it wasn't a sin not to love, but take it is a blessing. Take the heart away from my sight and rid her of her sins. Don't let her hurt me. Don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. Please tell them, please. Did she lose her baby, Mrs. St. Gaudens? It was soon after that night when my husband saw her in the park, sitting on the bench, praying for herself, 
seeking understanding for all that she had gone through, all that she had lost. As I sat quickly sketching her, she looked at me, and I couldn't turn my eyes from her. I could tell that she was, knew she was, what she was doing, but she didn't say anything. She gave me a nod and rose to her feet and walked away. I didn't know what I could do. I, I wanted to know more about her, but I feared there was something I shouldn't know. I followed her, keeping at a distance so she wouldn't know. I followed as she left the park, walking down the main street several blocks without pause until the end when the street meets harbor. My God, no! Someone save her! Help! What? Help a woman! A, a woman, woman is falling into the harbor! She jumped! She jumped! Where is she? She jumped! I tell you, Where? I saw her! Where did she jump? There's no one there, sir! Fast your instruments! If I have to do it myself! What about this woman? She's cracked! Where'd he go? I can't see her! There he is! Where is she? Find her! Find her! No body was ever found. A ghost story, Mrs. St. Gaudens. That's all this is? This is rumor I have read never an account of this matter. How do you know it's true? My husband captured her innocence and her purity in his statue, and he protected it within the confines of the granite benches and yews that enshroud Henry David's memorial. He refused to tell anyone of his creation and refused duplication. He made Mr. Adams swear never to photograph or copy his creation of Claire, peace of God. My husband assured me the thief has been punished. What was stolen still stands. Then we'll pay you for it. I haven't finished my story, Mrs. Agnes. One encounter gave my husband the inspiration... A second encounter would haunt my husband until his death. Months before his death, he became agitated, unable to create, refusing himself to sleep. Refusing to sleep? Why would he do that to himself? He would pace the floors of his studio, and when he did fall asleep, it wasn't long before he would tear himself from his slumber in his sheets in a wild, haunted vision of a young woman being attacked, being forced to miscarry. My husband was living this nun's nightmare. Doctors had diagnosed his cancer, but the mental suffering he received came from this statue. Please go, Mrs. St. Gaudens. I've been most patient. My husband's nightmares didn't come until Adams gave us news that someone had stolen the image. How could he know that? The thief must have been a good deal of barbarian to copy a work in such a way. The remnants of the plaster were still on the face of my husband's sculpture. You may go now. My husband put her spirits to rest, but the thief associated with your husband broke open that crypt. Please go. Mrs. Agnes, be careful of what you seek for solace. Thank heaven to be rid of her. Peace at last with you, my angel. What a horrible tale she told about you. How absurd to imagine such treatment, Claire. You are protected here. No one can harm you, Claire. Annie. Oh, Felix, I'm so happy you came. I knew I'd find you here. Who were you here with? The widow St. Gaudens. She's crazy in her talk. She was terrifying me with graveyard tales. It was horrible. There, there. She won't be bothering you now. My lawyer informed me she's fought her last battle. Your statue will stand. 
Thank you. I love you. I love you, Claire. Uh, what did you say? Hmm? I, I said nothing. Tell them, Leland. You called me Claire. I heard you. Annie, I, I said no such thing. Look! Look at the statue. Her eyes are opening. It's just the setting sun. Blood red eyes. Ah! What is it? She has me. Let go of me. Who? God, her hands grabbing me, pulling me. Ah! My God, from the grave, woman's hands clawing you. Get up, Annie. My God, grab my hands. Hang on. Hang on! Hold on to me, Annie! Annie! Annie, where are you? Someone! Anyone! Help! Help! Who am I? You still want to know who I am, don't you? You want of me. You seek answers from me. You desire me. <laughs> Look to yourself. Look in the mirror. Tonight, say my name. Say my name three times. I will come to you. I will answer all. I am yours. And you are The Curse of Black Aggie, an original audio drama, was written by Stuart Voitilla. The cast included Susan Stroop, Chris Finkston, Mike Moran, Mara Nemanis, Rebecca Eastman, David Crandall, and me, Mark Redfield. It was recorded before a live audience at Baltimore Theatre Project. Original music by Jennifer Rouse. Soundscape by David Crandall. Our audio engineer was Bill Dixon. The urban legend of Black Aggie is one that is specific to Baltimore, Maryland. It may sound familiar, as similar legends have been popular and passed along from generation to generation. There's Bloody Mary, who shares much of the trappings of Aggie, especially the ability to summon her from the darkness by saying her name three times while looking into a mirror. Clive Barker was inspired by the legend and wrote a story called The Forbidden, which became the film Candyman in 1992. But you had to call his name five times to summon actor Tony Todd. The screenplay was by Bernard Rose, who introduced the themes of race and social class in the intercity United States. Many years ago, Stuart Voitilla and I, Stuart, who wrote the audio play that you just listened to. We did a full-length feature film screenplay called Black Aggie. It has a very, very different story than uh, the one that you heard, a very, very different origin story. Because we found that as we researched the roots of this folklore, 
that there was no Aggie, black, white, or rainbow-colored. It was complete fabrication. It's fascinating how these kind of urban legends spring up, become incredibly popular for a generation or two, and then seem to disappear. I don't think that there are any kids or young people today in the early 21st century who share the Black Aggie stories over sleepovers or campfires or in their backyards to scare each other. But um, when we researched it, we came up with what we thought was a pretty good ghost story. And uh, it was contemporary, set in modern times. And uh, we found an investor and began to put together a cast and uh, locations. Um, it was a marvelous cathedral in uh, midtown Baltimore that we scouted. And uh, I remember going to visit it. And the day they, we, that we went to look and talk to the people about securing it as a location for the film of Black Aggie, they were doing some renovation work uh, and some um, painting and things. And uh, while we were in the office talking to the people to get them to give us permission to shoot there and work out the uh, shooting days that we would be there, um, a scaffolding collapsed. <laughs> <laughs> in an outside hallway. And, uh, well, I don't know, but maybe that's a good sign when you're trying to make a horror film that you're on the right track somehow. Um, we found some marvelous locations. My friend, the late Gunnar Hansen, was cast. We had begun casting our contemporary adult horror film. And our investor discovered that in our telling of this tale, the true villains of the piece were a collection of revenant nuns trying to keep a very dark secret. And um, he didn't like that so much, and he pulled out. And so we shelved the project, and I think the script is still pretty good, and I'd like to make it one day. So um, there you have it. There is no Aggie at the root of Black Aggie. Now, as I said, it's very specific, Black Aggie, the legend, the folklore, to Maryland. And it's all because of uh, a statue that is placed on a grave in 1926. Um, there was a grave of a man called General Felix Agnes, not Aggie, not Agnes, the female name, but Agnes, A-G-N-U-S, and it was in the Druid Ridge Cemetery in Pikesville, Maryland. And the statue itself, um, very dark, forbidden, a powerful, powerful sculpture, was actually an unauthorized replica, much like the story that you heard uh, in The Curse of Black Aggie, created by um, an artist called Ludwig Pausch, and uh, he copied it from sculptor Augustus St. Gaudens, 1891 figure. And the figure is called Grief. And um, that statue is in uh, the Rock Creek Cemetery in Washington, D.C. So anyway, this replica is installed in 1926 in the Druid Ridge, Druid Ridge, it's a beautiful and a delightful name, Druid Ridge Cemetery in Pikesville. Uh, 
And immediately, these urban legends launch and take root and capture the imaginations of uh, young people. And um, there are all sorts of horrible things that can happen if you... Why would anyone want to do this? I don't know. But if you would spend the night in the statue's lap, you'd be haunted by the ghosts that were there. If you looked into her eyes and were pregnant, you would miscarry. Um, this, of course, grows in time and comes to absorb the common legend uh, that is often in folklore about mirrors and if you say by then she has a name Black Aggie if you say her name three times at midnight in a mirror she'll come and get you well it created so much havoc at the cemetery um, the, the people were breaking into the cemetery they basically um, moved the statue to the Smithsonian in the late 60s, in the late 1960s, about 1967. So for many, many years, uh, it's almost sort of like um, the big warehouse in New Mexico at the end of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where all the mysterious things go. The, the grief replica statue disappeared. And then eventually... It pops up uh, many, many years after that and gets installed, <laughs> of all places, in D.C., uh, the Dolly Madison House on Lafayette Square in, in D.C., and that's where she currently is. But uh, the legend of Black Aggie, the curse of Black Aggie, may again pop up in common campfire ghost stories. And if not, something else will take her place. But it will sound awfully similar. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcasts. Uh, you can subscribe from your favorite podcast provider. We have many more stories to tell. We have interviews with creators, writers, actors, musicians, and artists. We have more audio drama and adaptations of American theater coming, and a few surprises along the way. Always, please check out our back catalog of great titles. Eclectic and hopefully always entertaining. Thanks for listening. Be safe. From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore. An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> <laughs> For many years, my, uh, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. Magazines and readership just demanded. Oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it? Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here. 
It is the beating of his hideous heart. Redfield Arts Audio presents Season 13, starring Rick Deskin, Mark Redfield, Brink Stevens, and Andy Schrem. It's opening night of the Majestic Theater's 13th season of their annual big-ticket item, A Seattle Christmas Carol. And I, stage manager Nick Papadakis, call me Pop, they all do, has locked himself all alone inside the tech booth, dressed as Ebenezer Scrooge, but I'm getting way ahead of my story. Hi. I'm here to see Jane Bigelow, please. I bet you would. And what makes you so special? I'm sorry? Of course you are. Who are you? Oh, I'm sorry. We know that. I'm sorry. I'm Nick Papadakis. I'm the new associate stage manager. Oh, you're the lucky lottery winner. I'll buzz her down. Take a seat. I was about to sit when through the stairwell doors popped. Hi, I'm Jane Bigelow, ASM for the Majestic. You must be none other than Nick Papa... Papa Papadakis. Just call me Nick. Maybe I'll just call you Pop. Come on, I'll give you the tour, and we'll be in time to hear the director's pep talk before the rehearsal this afternoon. The first person she took me to see was the head stage manager, Amanda. Everybody calls her Commander Reese. My fault. I started it. But don't ever call her that to her face. She'll deck you. Amanda, this is our new associate, Nick Papa's... Nick Papadakis. Nice to meet you. I look forward to working with you. Nice meeting you, Papadakis. Pop. Just call him Pop. Everybody does. Nice meeting you, Nick. Nice meeting you. Is she okay? Eh, It's been a little rough around here lately for everybody. It's been brutal. And then all the weirdness, all the little freak accidents and things that have been happening. Nerves are a little frayed. Maybe it's the handiwork of Jack Fairbank. Pop, don't ever mention the theater ghost again. That's taboo. Never, ever, never. You are fearless leader. One of the finest directors I've worked with. And one of the finest writers to ever put words in my mouth. Thank you, Chip Bateman, an actor's actor. Yours is the finest Scrooge we've ever seen in a local scene. High praise coming from you, sir. He doesn't make these speeches before every rehearsal, does he? Shh. Yes. And I just want to tell you all, my heart is bursting with pride at what you've done. Oh no, who has done this? Villainy. That is evil in this place. Elska, what happened? You see a ghost? Look on this with your own eyes, Tank. I'm looking. What am I seeing? Nothing. You see nothing. All my beautiful clothes for Christmas Carol gone. Jacques Fairbanks. You go too far this time. Mortachi tua. I don't know. I think our ghosts have been messing around a bit. But I'm hearing rumors. Rumors? That maybe somebody else is behind all this. Somebody who wants to maybe close the theater and sell the building. I hear those rumors too. Jerry Jerome, bastardo. That's what I hear. Jack? No, Nick. Jack. Don't you know any better than to sneak up on a ghost? Wait, you can see me? Hear me? Like Hamlet's old man. I hate playing Cratchit. 
We should switch roles one year, like Olivier and Gilgood did at the Old Vic. Switch playing Scrooge and Cratchit nightly? Yes! You're mad as a hatter. You'd never remember all the lines at your age anyway. Chip has a good point, Herb. Scrooge has lines? <laughs> I'd never known it, the way you mumble and stumble around on stage. You! <laughs> Son of a bitch! Stand by. Come on, Hercules. I only weigh 49 pounds. Stop squirming! I swear, I'm gonna drop you on your head! You drop me, you weenus? I'm gonna tell Jane that you touched me. Why, you! <laughs> gotten away with it, too. If it wasn't for you meddling spooks. Now give me my scrapbook. Oh, that feeling. To recapture that feeling again. What a glorious night. You were marvelous, Jack. That's what it's all about. That's life in the theater. The original content of this program is copyright The Mark Redfield Company.